Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 296, Self-Publishing versus Traditional Publishing, Part 2, with Jennifer Fainer-Wells and Jody McIsaac. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. Again, today we are joined by hybrid authors, Jennifer Fainer-Wells and Jody McIsaac. This will be part two of our two-part discussion, focusing on the here and now of self-publishing versus traditional publishing. I'm going to keep my comments brief. Again, actually, what we're going to have for you are some comments from a little discussion between me and Christy, where we focus on feedback we've received, not including the Hugo Awards, some of our upcoming guests, and a little discussion about the Parsec Awards. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get into my and Christy's discussion. Take care, everyone. Well, Christy and I are together once again and provide a little bit of conversation and we wanted to have a chat because there's been a lot going on. Uh, I think we're, we're going to spend some time talking about some feedback that we've received on some different shows, not just Hugo related either. So yeah, no other stuff as well. uh, Other stuff as well. Imagine that there's other stuff going on in the world. (laughs) And then we can talk about a few of our upcoming shows and, and some of the books we're reading And there's also another award that I was quite confused by just from the nomination deadline specifically was the point of confusion was the Parsec Awards. So I know we're going to, we've been nominated and I I imagine some of our listeners probably also listen to other shows. So we want to make sure we've already been through the act of being nominated. So that's great. That, no, I know what you mean though, too. It was, it was sort of an odd deadline thing where where we sort of heard afterwards but um but that's really cool yeah it's really cool and i want to make sure people know when the nomination deadline ends so if they're fans of other shows they have the opportunity to to nominate and yeah. make and make their voice heard so speaking of making their voice heard so we we received you want to do hugo feedback first or some of the other feedback <laughs> long sigh Let's do some other feedback first. Okay. And the cool thing about feedback, and I I am very receptive and certainly want listeners, we're we're not above reproach, folks. So don't ever let Christy or I, I mean, we'll defend some things, sure, and or at least provide context around items that are going on if if we feel like some facts have been misrepresented, but we're not perfect, obviously, and not above reproach. And so I certainly welcome feedback of all stripes. Oh, yeah. I know. And, and, and gosh, me too. Like, I mean, you know, me, me, me three on that one. But um, I, you know, I find too that um, uh, my don't misunderstand my sigh. My sigh is more just from the, Hugo. I'm starting to call it the Hugo hangover. <laughs> it's a long, drawn-out, extended... Maybe it's not a hangover yet, because I guess it's got to be a hangover after the awards. So maybe it's the... I don't know. Maybe we could call it the binge-drinking episode of the Hugos 
component. Yeah, we're we're just past the point of consuming the enough Hugo stuff that we're beyond queasy and at the point the room's spinning and we probably need to lie down. That's it. Yeah, that's that's it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And that doesn't have to be a drinking metaphor, people. So, you know, that could just be the flu. Exactly. Back, you know, speaking of the feedback piece, we we received some feedback, great, you know, great feedback around the self-publishing and traditional publishing show that we just did. So I want to thank the the individual who sent, sent not only email, we've received some feedback on the blog. Folks on Twitter have uh, provided some feedback as well from both sides. I think individuals were very interested in part one of our interview with uh, Jennifer Fainer Wells and Jody McIsaac around realizing the investment that it takes to achieve success. And also, I think there was some overwhelming, probably surprise, or it was certainly eye-opening to to some individuals when Jennifer Fainer Wells, I think, was talking about some of, the, some of her sales numbers. Yeah. And that was part of the point of having them on the show was we wanted to have them on because both of those individuals saw meteoric success and then translated that into some other opportunities. And then that way we could speak to a full spectrum of lessons learned, self-publishing, hybrid, and with you, traditional. Yeah. Conversely, we received some feedback via email and it was you know, well-conceived, well-constructed feedback from an individual that's been a, a, a long-time self-publisher and was a little disheartened that we didn't have or felt like we misrepresented the episode a little bit through false advertising around people would get the true skinny, if you will, around self-publishing and felt like we needed to have another individual that probably had more self-publishing credits under his or her belt. Well, that's a fascinating piece of feedback. And it was actually something we thought about when we put together the show on purpose. Not to have somebody who had 10, 15 years um, in the self-publishing industry or had had some you know, phenomenal success um, and was already sort of a household name. We wanted to get people who had gotten into it recently to find out what it's like now as a new author coming into it. But, you know, there there certainly are a lot of other authors that we could have gotten on the show. But I I kind of liked getting their perspective because Jennifer and Jody are, are still very much in the process of trying to get an audience. And it was interesting to see how it's working for them. And also that there's no quick fix. Certainly. And even though Jody had an agent, both individuals had agents at this point, they didn't say that in the future, they wouldn't continue to self-publish. They're very much in the thick of, as you mentioned, the process. And, you know, we've certainly had more traditional self-publishers on the show that have had a longer tenure track record. And it's not like self-publishing is going away. So I anticipate we will have uh, folks that want to indie publish on the show again. Now, that's something I have to be honest with you. I'm even struggling based on the volume of the indie authors that we get requests from to include on the show. You know, there's all this discussion of gatekeepers from a publishing house standpoint. And I, I'll be honest, one of the things I really struggle with uh, is some of the saturation that exists. Yeah. And, you know, I, I need to go back and talk to Tim Ward about this a little bit. 
because he's obviously in the thick of, of indie publishing and he tried to set up some mechanisms through our show to where we would be rather friendly to uh, indie authors. And I'm certainly not opposed to the concept. It's just a matter of the time required to vet and apply your own personal taste too. So there may be certain things I end up selecting through that process if I'm left in charge of it that may fit my personal taste. And I don't necessarily want all the authors we bring on to just reflect my personal taste. So that's something I think over the next couple months, we're going to try and get our arms wrapped around. I may solicit some help from Tim too, because I know he, he cares very much about, about that space. So This is something I've read about quite a bit in articles, because um, I, I was fascinated by it. This gatekeeper concept for indie publishing, and part of it, and I forget the article. I'll have to try and find it. Find it at one point. But it was, um, it was some a reviewer at a newspaper who had um, who had written a piece about why they weren't taking indie publishing, and he pointed out that you know in some cases, sure, it, there might be an exception, but they already were inundated with so much in the mailroom just from the publishing houses. And authors that they um, that they were already familiar with, or um, you know, uh, publishers that they were familiar with, that they already have a difficult time dealing with the influx. And there's lots of books that would slip through the cracks if they were to add indie publishing on top of it. They just he you know he was saying in the article there's just no way that they could deal with that um, logistically. So it's because of indie publishing, it's brought up this thing you know it's brought up this concept of now there's just there's so much material out there that you can read. But the question is, how do you how do you sift through it? Yeah, and that that's where I said there's going to be a bias. Likely, it's going to be like being an editor for a magazine. Yeah, you know, for a zine, where at that point for the indie publishing items, unfortunately, if it's left for me to be the gatekeeper, it's going to be a matter of personal taste, and that's very subjective. Yeah, and with the traditionally published authors, I know I've left more room because it, even though it's very like as you mentioned. The volume, I remember talking to Ann Sowards, you know, five years ago, and she said, we're publishing more books now than we ever have. And that's done by design. And I've seen that now that I've taken over as executive producer, like you said, the number of requests we get from publicists and what have you to include those books in the show. And I'll keep myself open to try new things, certainly in in that regard, and deviate away from personal preference. But with the volume being even greater in indie, it's it's going to be it's going to be a real challenge. There's and there there's another aspect too with the indie publishing, and I, I'm probably going to get into trouble for this, but you know I'm going to say yeah. it. There, so it, there is some brilliant indie stuff coming out. Um, there absolutely is, and it's publication quality. And again, you you know, um, as, as feedback we got for that show um, with the authors who are treating it like like a business and like you know like a profession and really taking it seriously, there's some brilliant books coming out. You sort of sit there and it's kind of like it's a shame I don't want to miss that stuff. So you want to keep your eyes out for it. But the other flip side of that is um, that there's also a lot of indie work that hasn't been vetted by the author as well as it maybe should have. And it's very hard to wade through that if you've got 10 books in front of you and one or two of them are, are absolute gold. How do you tell by the cover? or How do you tell by that first page? And do you have time to read through all those first pages? It's, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's, it's that concept of quality too. That doesn't mean that, you know, traditional publishers aren't putting out stuff that 
is, is questionable as well. You know, it's, and, and that's also a personal taste issue, but it's, it's the volume. I'll tell you what, pitch matters too. The, the indie authors that present their pitch in a compelling way and are clear about what they're wanting out of the engagement or the relationship are, are those get a notch up from a professionalism standpoint. Absolutely. As well. Yeah. Uh, it really, it really does matter whether you're going to pick up the material. I know that we pushed the Hugo conversation to the side for a little bit, but we've been getting feedback about it as well, covering the spectrum from people being very complimentary about our approach to this. Uh, we received some emails that were very thoughtful around us being level-headed about the approach and a lot of the discussion. Christy and I have engaged in some things on Twitter of late, and there are a couple blog posts that I've responded to about us essentially shilling for the Sad Puppies crew and being uh, too warm and fuzzy with them. And there are a number of points that Christy and I have made through the course of those conversations. And I think one of the key ones in that is reminding people of the time period which I did, and I'll reiterate to everybody that happens to hear this and then happens to go back and listen to the, to the interview with, with Larry and Brad is, you know, Christy and I have no regrets on having them on the show whatsoever. No, they were awesome. Yeah, and the other thing is, there are a lot of their points we agreed with, and that's why if you want to refer to us as being warm and fuzzy or uh, friendly with them, was one, all the guests that come on the show, we, we want to make them welcome. By design, the show is not cross-talk. No. We will ask some questions and allow them to explain themselves. And I felt like we asked questions, allowing Brad and Larry to explain themselves. And then at that point, once they've explained themselves, the individuals listening to the show got to hear it. You make up your own mind. Now, if you want to shout at your car stereo or your computer and ask them a follow-up question, feel free. Absolutely. Get on, or get online and ask them that follow-up question that we didn't ask. A lot has changed, though, in the course from the end of February from when we interviewed them to now. So the, the interview would likely be a lot different because not only would we ask the one question about Vox Day, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. we would not only ask the question about Vox Day, but we likely would probe deeper into that conversation around how involved were you in the rabid puppies? Yeah, no, we no, definitely that. And, you know, one of the other things too, like, um, I, I, no, I, I think timing is, you know, timing and thinking of that interview as well, is that it's the Hugo nominations hadn't even been announced yet, you know, to anybody at that point, uh, people were still voting, people were still nominating. So it, it was very, very early on in the process things that have popped up in the news and whether or not, I, I think you have to be very careful too, because just because somebody writes something, it's, it's that component of, of journalism where I always want to be very careful with what I say. And the reason for that is that you have to be very careful about accusing people without proof, if that makes sense in journalism. Yeah. So you don't want to make, you don't want to say so-and-so, for example, so-and-so is a racist, such and such and such. That's a very strong accusation. And it's, it's funny because you do see a lot of articles that have come up on news sources that have been doing that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's a bit interesting, but um, I, it becomes more of an opinion piece versus reporting. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And 
you know, something like Gamergate, because uh, there there had been talk later on about Gamergate, and who knows at this point what's actually real and what's you know what's 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 a rumor that somebody has jumped onto, and what actually is you could actually validate online, um, and how do you follow the paper trail and all all of that. So, but that wasn't on anybody's radar. Th- those questions weren't even those topics weren't even weren't even uh, in in the news yet. So. I am very uncomfortable with the idea of inviting, and and you have to remember too, these are authors that we're bringing on who are volunteering their time. If we get somebody on the show and we're like, so this is what so-and-so says, and and this is the the accusation they've made, we're never going to get anybody on the show again. (laughs) These are writers, not politicians. (laughs) Yes, exactly. To some extent, even though they're not politicians, that's why we went the extra step to provide equal time. Absolutely, yeah. To the anti-discussion. Yes. And we were just as friendly to Paul. Just as friendly to Paul. And nobody sent me an email saying, why were you so nice to Paul? Yeah. To go back to your point about the timeline, because you hit on all the points I was thinking, was there was no Gamergate discussion. We could have asked that. It had you and I been fortune tellers. Yes. I mean, (laughs) there was, just by asking the Vox Day question, we knew that he's been accused of a racist and there's a lot of baggage with him. Yes. So we we wouldn't ask the question otherwise. Yeah. And so it's not like we're, unfortunately, there's a certain part of me that would like to abandon this discussion. But I think you, (laughs) Christy, I think you and I are very much committed to following this process through. And and again, uh, before I talk about following the process through, the individual we had some discourse with on Twitter was lovely. Absolutely. I, I, He's fantastic. He, he was lovely. And I will welcome any well-constructed criticism. And his criticism was the way we approached it didn't sit well with him. He made that very clear. He wasn't hateful about it. He was just, this is my opinion. And I thought you guys were too warm and fuzzy with them. And he got, when I brought up the timing, he was like, yeah, that makes sense. I understand you couldn't have asked about Gamergate or you couldn't have asked about completely locking up slates. Yep. Because it, it hadn't happened. It hadn't happened. And so he was lovely. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I will admit I was... There was some trepidation in engaging <laughs> in that conversation. But I said, you know what? I'm going to start this conversation off. And to his credit, he said, look, I'm also looking forward to listening to the anti-said puppies. And I, I warned him, too. I said, now, there's not going to be a lot of vitriol in the anti-said puppies discussions because at that point, when we interviewed Paul and we talked to Ferret, Gamergate wasn't out there. Nope. I mean, locking up entire slates wasn't out there. I mean, you listen and the to mud, the- And the mud hadn't started to fly yet either. Yes. So we couldn't, we couldn't have asked about some of the things that have come up now with, um, you know, what, one of the things I would have liked, because we, we've mentioned now, um, you know, Gamergate and, and locking up the slates. One of the questions I would have loved to have asked Paul, hindsight 2020, or, you know, have, um, have Ferret have answered, as, uh, talked about, sorry, not answered, but talked about, was... Um, some of these articles that have popped up on Salon and Huffington Post and that are, you know, and on one hand are, are coming across a bit as, as opinion pieces and, and whether or not, you know, whether or not slander, you know, in their opinion, slander was coming up or, you know, what, whether or not some serious sides were being taken by, by some of the news outlets. I would have loved to have asked them about that. Cause I think it would have been an interesting discussion. That's a great segue. <laughs> 
because as I was mentioning, we, we are going to follow this process through and we're going to have another guest on shortly that we can ask those questions of. Absolutely. It's, it's, I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. Can we announce it yet? Or it's, it's locked up. It's locked the date, up. The, the date and time set with the, uh, the date and time is set with the admin staff. So it's locked up. All right. So I, I, I guess, so I guess, can I, can I announce it? Can I announce yeah. what you're having? All yeah, right. You go ahead. So we have the phenomenal Mary Robinette Cowell coming on our show next week and she's going to be talking about the Hugo Awards with us but also talking about the initiative that she's undertaken to encourage people to discuss this stuff on her website and also to uh you know uh she's also doing a drive to give out memberships so and, and again to get fans engaged so I'm really looking forward to that conversation yeah and that's going to be interesting I you know she was accused I saw some accusations leveled at her around opening up the membership discussion, which we're going to talk about. People were accusing her of buying votes. Yeah, no, I, I saw that. And now she's had to come. And and I, I think, too, because it's gotten up to something like 81. It might even be higher now, but 81 um, uh, memberships that she's giving out through her site. And um, uh, so I, I think now she's actually announced that she will not be accepting any nominations next year because she feels it's it's too many that she'll be you know, giving out that, you know, it, it could actually sway. Yeah, no, I, I saw that as well. And I, I guess, I guess her response is that she's, she's not going to be a, a nominee next year. Going to recuse, recuse herself. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a few of the other guests that we're going to have coming on. Cause I'm equally as excited about those guests as I, I am having Mary on. I, I know Mary's going to be great for the Hugo conversation. And unfortunately, you and I will have to pepper in a few questions about what she's working on, too. Oh, yeah. Can't be all Hugo-related. I, I know you're have, speaking with a guest tomorrow. Yes, I'm speaking with author Jay Pitts. He's a well-known author in the in the Northwest, and he's had a successful series out um, with Tor for a while. So I'll, I'll leave leave the conversation till, till tomorrow. But um, we're going to be talking about his series, what's happened to it you know, in, in the last little while and how things might be changing for his series and um, just some of the processes that are coming up. So I, I don't want to give too much away. Um, he's also really well known in the Northwest here. He's uh, a mentor character at a lot of these, um, at a lot of these conventions. And he's been running um, with Ken Scholes. He's been running a workshop for years where they talk about publishing and they talk about things that are really important for new authors. So we'll be chatting a bit about that as well. Awesome. Can't wait to hear that. I, that's one of the items, we, as we were talking about the self-publishing route, that fascinates me are some of these mid-list authors that have, for all intents and purposes, a successful series. But then the series is dropped by the publisher for whatever reason. And then they have to find alternative means to get the remaining works out. And I know you have a dedicated following of, of fans that want to see those works completed. So I'll be really excited to hear that interview that uh, you're, you're conducting with him. Yeah, no, it's, um, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be, well, it will be a good one. He's, he's um, just, if you've ever been to one of, one of uh, John's workshops, uh, they're pretty fantastic. That's awesome. The other interview, so you, it's funny, you and I are like bang, 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 knocking some interviews out, which I think will be great. And not Hugo related is <laughs> I'll be talking to Fonda Lee about her book Zero Boxer, which has been labeled a young adult book. But if you see some of the interviews that she's conducted, it's probably fringe young adult and fits somewhere between young adult 
And it doesn't follow some of the tropes that young adult does, even though the character is certainly working through some self-discovery. And, you know, at the onset of the book, he's 17. It doesn't follow some of the romance tropes, which I, I know a lot of. Actually, I was in one of my favorite indie bookstores in the city here and was talking to one of the owners that I've become friends with and was chatting with her and telling her about the book. And ironically enough, they do a YA book club for adults at the Indies bookstore. And she said that would sounds like a perfect book for that group as a selection because they're so tired of the romance trope that's in every book. And fun. I mean, there is a romance in the book, but it's so integral to the story. It's really around trust and that relationship, and it's a professional relationship as well. So I'll, I'll be interested to, to talk to Fonda about it. But the, the book's called Zero Boxer, and it's MMA on the far side of the moon is what it's about. It's And it is wicked cool. That book is wicked cool. Her fight scenes. I was going to say, I've been actually seeing seeing her book pop up online um, in a number of places. People are chatting about it, and everybody's saying it's really good. So I think I'm going to have to pick that one up as well. She's another Canadian. I think you Canadians are taking over the world. <laughs> We're taking over publishing. I'm serious. <laughs> I was in my indie bookstore yesterday, and I was asking her. I was picking up a book for a friend and picking something else up that I wanted and making sure they stay in business. And then... I said, you have anything else you want to recommend for me? And I'm going to butcher the author's name. I just picked it up. She pointed this book out to me, and it's called The The Story of Owen, and it's by E.K. Johnston. Do you know her? I don't. Another Canadian. Yeah. Huh. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I think Black Dogs by a Canadian as well. Ugh. Which is another why which is a, which is another why. I, I could be wrong on that, but I, I think there I think that author might be Canadian as well. I'm like the co-host on the show's uh, Canadian, and she's great. And so if you're ever in my part of the world, I'll get you set up with a signing and event there. So if you ever make it to the middle of the map in the U.S. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, But I, I can't wait to talk to Fonda. So she's a viable Paradise graduate. She wasn't in my year. She was a couple of years after me. But uh, really looking forward to that conversation. So anybody else you want to make mention of? Those are the, the ones near term, I know. Rod Duncan, I'm, I'm sort of trying to set up some dates, but um, we he is the author of The Bullet Catcher's Daughter and Unseemly Science. His books are published through um, Angry Robot, and uh, it looks like we'll be able to do a giveaway as well. Uh, we're just trying to figure out times and stuff for him to come on the, uh, the show. So tentatively, he'll be coming on. He was nominated for a Philip K. Dick Award for his first book. And so the second one, The Ark, is out. Unseemly Science, and I, I actually read that without reading the first one, and I, I thought it was fantastic. I'll be putting a review up later. I also, I'm going to hint at this, I can't announce who it is because we're not set in stone yet. We're still trying to get permissions and such. I keep saying, you know, video games, video games, video games, and so I'm trying to put... Um, my, my money where my mouth is, and we're looking at getting two very awesome, I'll just say video game people, on the show, um, and that's going to be a really fantastic episode. So we're crossing our fingers that everything goes through, but video games in the future. Now, that the video game episode, I can't wait to get that component more integrated into the show. And for folks that just listen to the show but don't stop by the blog, Christy was talking about Rod and Unseemly Science and then also talking about video games. You guys will want to go out to the blog and check out 
her read playlist that she's been doing. I got to put another one up too. I, I was sick for the past little while, so I, I've been negligent, but uh, I've got some more games that I've played that um, that need to be discussed in there. So Yes, we're going to try Bloodborne tonight. It's been sitting in the cellophane. I haven't had time to play it, but my son has been watching YouTube videos about the game, as he's prone to do, yep. and he, tur he turned to me and he said, Dad, oh, this thing, <laughs> oh. He's he's like, why did you get this game? Yeah, because this game looks impossible. It's not and, impossible. Well, he just said it looks really tough. Yeah, and when he when he says that, you know, because he plays a bunch, I know it's going to be. And my wife, it was like, well, can we watch you guys play? And I said, I don't know. I think we're going to be cussing a lot. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. The highlight, I'll, I'll talk about it in my next little post, but um, uh, Mortal Kombat, the the latest one, Mortal Kombat Ten, that was just out. The fatalities section that you get after you actually play through the game. All I have to say is the selfie. That's it. Look it up online. It's pretty awesome. That's YouTube fodder right there for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Well, let's let's close with a little awards talk. And I mentioned this at the beginning. And no, it's not going to be the Hugo Awards. But I do want to mention to our listeners, and I think we discussed this at the open, that We've been nominated for a, a Parsec Award, and that's something where we've been a recipient of that award and been a finalist several times. And if individuals aren't familiar with the Parsec Awards, it is the best and brightest from a podcasting standpoint in speculative fiction across a number of categories. They have two basic categories. Story and non-story. Yeah. We're obviously in the non-story right now anyway. We're in the non-story category. But I, I really want to encourage our listeners. I mean, we've already been nominated. So at this point, if you nominate us again, great. Um, we'll have to make a pitch at that point to go from nomination to be on the finalist. What I do want to encourage folks to do, though, is if you enjoy this show, yeah, fine. Go out and nominate us. Uh, but also, if you enjoy other shows, yeah, go nominate them as well. I'm I listen to podcasting and listen to other shows. Uh, we've had guests from other shows on, and I think we love the format of podcasting. And so, if you love other shows too, it's going to be parsecawards.com, and you'll find the nomination link there. It's right there on the homepage right now. You do have a deadline of May 31st to make that nomination. And the show you nominate, so if it's a relatively new show, there will be some criteria that the show, the nomination period that they're covering is May 1st of yes. 2014 through April 30th of this year. But like Rob Matheny, who works behind the scenes on this show, and I was talking about his new Grimdark show, even though he launched in that period, he doesn't have the requisite number of shows under his belt yet. You need to have 10 shows. So you want to make sure you're picking a show that may, it may be new, but they're going to have to have at least 10 shows uh, available and under their belt to, to qualify. And the other thing, too, that I want to point out about the Parsecs is that you can, I think anybody can go and see who's been nominated so far. Yes. So, and it's a great way to find, uh, to go and check out and see what is new and, and what other shows maybe you haven't listened to before. Um, it's a fantastic way to, to find some new stuff and, and see what's out there. So I, I encourage people to, um, to go take, take a look at the nomination list so far. And if you're looking for a new podcast or you just want to try some new stuff, um, especially some of the story 
podcasts that are out there. There's um, there's a number of new ones uh, that you know have have some great stuff. So that's one of the few ways I'm able to consume short fiction anymore are through those podcasts, through yeah. podcasts like Podcastle and Pseudopod and. You know, those uh, toasted cake. How could I forget? Starship, soda, uh, Starship Sofa. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Starship Sofa. Toasted cake. I have a story there myself. <laughs> like, nice. how could I forget? And then Drabblecast. I love Drabblecast too. So, uh, Farfetch uh, Fables is another one too that uh, yeah, it's newer. Yeah. And that's not a slight, folks. I'm telling you, not a slight. Just a few Christy and I like. Yes. So, yes, that we just can name go. off the top of the head. <laughs> go look and whatever you love. Just listen, whatever you love, just put it out there. The one thing that's interesting about this, though, is that it's awarded during Dragon Con. So if we happen to be a finalist, we'll we'll have to figure that out because Dragon Con's the same time as the uh, as the Hugo Awards and uh, and Sasquatch. So uh, we may be underrepresented, or maybe we could twist somebody else on the staff to represent us. Because I know you and I are both slated to go to the Hugo yeah. Hugo Awards, so yeah, we'll have to figure that one out if we're a finalist. So that's a big if. Yes. Let's not be not let's not be too presumptuous there. But if you love a podcast, I encourage you to go out there and nominate somebody. It has to be a podcast within speculative fiction, uh, either story or non-story. But if you love a podcast, go out and nominate somebody. With that, that's all we had this week, which was quite enough, I would admit, but. Um, I think that's all we have this week. Anything else you want to mention or have to add? I'm, I'm just uh, going to be putting up some books that I'm reading, looking at some more arcs that we've got coming up and putting some reviews up. So, um, And definitely for listeners out there, tell us what you guys are reading you know, or what you guys are interested in reading, like through Twitter or through comments or through Facebook. Because uh, we, we'd really, I'd really like to know because you know, we get arcs and we get stuff from the publishers. But I, you know, I'm, I'm curious what our listeners are interested in or authors that they're interested in. So you know, get in touch with us. Let us know. 100% agree. You know, we were just featured on SC Flynn's uh, blog. He does kind of profiles of different podcasts and different bloggers, and he does an excellent job of that. So if you're curious, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you're curious, go check that out. And I have some titles that I'm really looking forward to, but like Christy says, yeah, I I would be really interested in seeing what others are interested in picking up. Which, by the way, Christy, before we, before we drop um, or take off here, did you did you happen to notice who else I gave a nod to when I because you're the sponsor of the upcoming shows? I saw the beer. Yes, I thought that was phenomenal. The Sasquatch Sasquatch <laughs> beer. Yes. So, which I can't wait to try. Yep, bringing it can't down to Worldcon. So awesome. Yep, can't wait to try. All right, folks. Well, with that, um, everybody have a great week. Until we probably talk to you next time, and take care. Okay, bye guys. This episode is brought to you by The Owl and the Japanese Circus by Christy Cherish. Ex-archaeology grad student turned international antiquities thief Alex, better known now as Owl, has one rule. No supernatural jobs. Ever. Until she crosses paths with Mr. Kurosawa, a red dragon who owns and runs the Japanese Circus Casino in Las Vegas. He insists Owl retrieve an artifact stolen 3,000 years ago and makes her an offer she can't refuse. He'll get rid of the pack of vampires that want her dead. A dragon is about the only entity on the planet that can deliver on Owl's vampire problem, 
And let's face it, dragons are known to eat the odd thief. Book one in the series, Owl and the Japanese Circus, is currently available in the U.S. and internationally. And the follow-up, Owl and the City of Angels, is available for pre-order at select venues. To learn more and order online, come to the show notes, episode 296, and click on the image that you will see from Owl and the Japanese Circus by Christy Cherish. Hi, this is Tina Connolly from Toasted Cake, reminding you that podcast nominations are now open for the 10th Annual Parsec Awards. Do you have a favorite podcast? What about a favorite episode from last year? A story that really stuck with you? Or a roundtable that was particularly insightful? Well, you can bring a little joy into our humdrum lives by nominating your favorites from 2014. You have until May 31st, and the winners will be announced at DragonCon this September in Atlanta. Find all the details at ParsecAwards.com. Well, let's move to marketing a little bit. So you've each mentioned something that's worked, or I know Jen has for sure. Jody, if there's one thing you could attribute of your marketing plan that's worked best for you, what would that be? I would say that enrolling in the KDP Select and giving it away for free. Okay. Um, I also gave away a ton of books for free before it was out to book bloggers, reviewers, my friends, people on the street, anybody who would write an honest review of it. So getting those early reviews was really important, but doing the giveaway through KDP Select was definitely, I, I think, the tipping point for me as far as in my marketing strategy. Okay. So now I'm going to flip it on the marketing end of things. What did you guys try and it just flopped? And what would you change out of your marketing approach for that first book? Blog tours. Yeah. <laughs> what an amazing suck of time yeah <laughs> you know it was one of those blog tours where not only did i have to pay um money but then i had to write a, like 20 different blog posts i could have written a whole new book for right. that right and, and so whatever you do you have to really i mean it probably did help sell books but you have to really weigh you know your return on investment if you're going to invest this much money or this much time how much are you going to get back and is it worth it to you it might not be equal you i, I spend a ton of money on facebook ads a ton, a, a little bit of money on Facebook ads, you know, comparing my book to Outlander. And if you love Outlander, you'll love this Irish series. And I lost money on it, but it really helped gain exposure. It helped get the word out there. So for me, it was worth the investment because a lot of people bought the book and say, oh, I saw your Facebook ad. Mm. And so that as a new author starting up and just getting your name out there is really important. But yeah, the book tours, I would never do it again. Jen, you, it sounded like you had a similar experience. Yeah, I actually, I just started doing a book tour uh, recently um, because I would say before I started the book tour, something like 90 to 95% of my readership is male. And since I basically wrote this book intending to appeal to women, I've been trying to find ways to find those women to read the book. So I thought maybe a blog tour would do it, but it hasn't changed anything. For me, it's with the investment in time was the real problem with a blog tour. It's just such an investment in time. But another thing that I tried that didn't work at all was I tried doing a giveaway. Mm. And I gave away big prizes. I, I gave away an iPad Air and I gave away a uh, Kindle Voyage e-reader. And that just didn't do me any good either. <laughs> so that was a flop. 
But this is how you learn these things, right? I mean, I've done so many marketing things that you you do have to just see what's going to work because you don't really know for sure. And that's how you learn. And with each book, you know, you learn more what works for you. And something that works well for you might, you know, not work for somebody else. There's no set marketing plan or else we would all be doing the exact same things. Yeah, exactly. It'd be marketing by numbers. You just yeah. want you want to fail fast and not have bet the farm on the failure. Exactly. Right? Yeah, there's a magic formula, unfortunately. Christy, what about you? You've just recently, I know, completed a lot of marketing efforts around OWL. What would you change? And if you say this podcast, you and I are going to have words. We're going to have words. No, no, this podcast has been <laughs> awesome. I love being on the podcast. Um, it's fun. Actually, I think this podcast is, I, I don't I don't know if anybody listening to the podcast is picking up my books, but it's fun and I like it. And it's, you know, I get to talk to authors. So I'd say that's a win. It's interesting listening to you, Jen and Jody, talking about the blog tour because um, I had a different experience with it. And it might be because of my genre, which is urban fantasy. Again, I didn't pay for my blog tour at all. What my version of a blog tour was, I went, okay, what are the big urban fantasy blogging sites uh, where they've got a lot of followers on Twitter, where they've got a lot of, you know, followers on Facebook, where the uh, people are leaving lots of comments in their feeds, that sort of thing. And then I just emailed them and said, hey, I've got a book coming out you know, would you be interested in reviewing it? Or would you, um, you know, would you be interested in having me on? And, you know, some of those got back to me. The other thing I did was I went and I would scour Goodreads before my book came out. And again, I would look to see which of the bigger review sites for urban fantasy were and, and some of these sites have, you know, 10s of 1000s of followers. So I'd look and see, well, who is interested or who's added my book as something they want to review. And then I went and contacted them and it was an email of, you know, hey, I noticed that you might be reviewing Owl. Would you be interested in doing a giveaway or having me on as a, you know, for an interview or, or um, a blog? No money went outwards. It was all just um, me chatting. Uh, in some cases, they were just going to review it and do a giveaway, which was great because they would tweet out my book uh, with the review. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And I noticed that my sales would go up whenever I was on the blog because I, whenever I was, um, my book was on one of the blogs because I would check and I'd see, okay, well, what is happening with my Amazon rankings? Sometimes it didn't work. What I would not do, I don't know yet because I don't know enough yet of how the book is done. You know, Jen and Jody are, are much further ahead of me because I'm still at the phase where I'm like, okay, what, what was a time sink? What really didn't work? What really did work? And what should I be putting my time into next time? And I, I think it's just next year, once the book's been out there for a while, that's when I'll be able to see. So we'll come back to you on that. I'll, I'll ask you where you flopped from a marketing standpoint. Yes, please do. <laughs> All right. a, little, a little ways down the road. Jen, Jody, I want to ask you a question now. We're going to do both sides of the coin. I think it was Jen that said everybody on Twitter is trying to sell a book, right? Yes. So, so you guys were exploring and doing research on how to self-publish. What adage or piece of advice or rule had you seen that maybe you thought, mm, that might have been true five years ago? But now as you've worked through this experience, you don't think it's valid any longer. 
you know, people used to be pricing their books at 99 cents, like the super low, you know, or $1.99. I don't think that's working as well anymore because so many people are doing it. Things like that that used to be thrown out, um, you know, that you have to tweet every hour. That's really annoying if you're tweeting about your book every hour. I don't know. I think there was a lot of stuff that was being thrown out there five years ago when it's, you know, was a lot more new, I think, to, to, to a lot of people um, that has been proven that it doesn't work or so many people have followed that advice that it doesn't work because now everybody's doing it. You know, so I think we're seeing even indie books price wise starting to rise a little bit in price um, just because the market was so saturated at the 99 cent or the 199 level. There's some advice like that. It's interesting, Jody, you mentioned that because I'm a marketer by day job. And so something Joe Polizzi, he's uh, a content marketing guy, talks about this concept of 411. Only one of your posts should be a direct sale post out of every six posts. Oh, absolutely. Or less. Or less. And that's like the bare minimum. And mm -hmm. I actually saw the unfortunate occurrence of Somebody I'm following on Twitter, he's an indie book author, I'm not going to mention his name. His concept was interesting, and he approached me the right way on Twitter. I said, sure, I'll give you a follow. And he ended up having his account locked today. And he had reversed that. It was 10 direct sales, and then maybe a post that was educational, or a post of a share of somebody else's occasionally. And so I think somebody reported him and oh. he ended up getting his account locked. So you see horror stories like that. So Jody, thanks for sharing. Jen, what about you? Uh, any adages you, you saw uh, out there? You know, when I was really, really doing all this research about, you know, self-publishing, there were a lot of Twitter gurus out there at the time. I don't know if that's still the case because I don't get to read as many tweets as I used to. But there were a lot of people who sort of set themselves up as experts at self-publishing or experts at writing that didn't really have the background to set themselves up that way. I think you just have to be really careful where you're getting your self-publishing advice. You know, like you said, it is changing very, very quickly. And, um, you know, just from watching Hugh Howey's blog, he might make a suggestion and then two months later come back and say, yeah, that's changed. I'm no longer doing it that way or, or whatever. And so I think mm. it's just important to keep your finger on that and, and keep reading those blogs of the people who are, are truly influencers in, in this realm. But, you know, just just everything from, uh, you know, people getting on their high horse about adverbs or something. I mean, that <laughs> those sort of things. I just sort of like, you know what? I like an adverb occasionally, so I'm going to use them. Um, I don't know. It just gets a little bit silly with, with all these absolutes. Um, yeah. So I, I don't set myself up as an expert in any way, shape, or form. I do make suggestions, and I'm always encouraging people. But you really have to pay attention to who you're getting your advice from out there. Yeah, including adverbs is like putting A1 sauce on steaks, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, I personally don't care for it, but if that's your thing, go, go right ahead. <laughs> exactly. Go right ahead. Christy, you have a thought about this old advice concept? I don't know, because I've been, I, I would say I'm, I'm new. I'm so new at the traditional stuff. I, I think if, if there's anything that I'm noticing that I think is just, it's gone out the window and it's not really was maybe true, you know, five, 10 years ago, not now. It's this concept that if you've got a traditional publisher, they're responsible for getting people to read your books with social media. 
and with Facebook and with um, Twitter. Obviously, my publishers are doing a lot behind the scenes to get my book out to people and into stores and things like that. Um, but there's a lot of stuff now that falls onto the individual writer. With the way that social media works now, it's not something that a publisher can necessarily do. So it's it's one of those things where it's um, just because of the internet. You sometimes see authors complaining um, that, oh, well, their publisher's not doing this, or their publisher expects them to do that. Their publisher should be doing that. And I don't think it's true anymore. Um, I, I don't think it can work that way anymore, just with the way that our culture's evolved. One of the things that's emblematic of that concept that I see in some of my experiences, you have traditional media outlets that no longer is the expectation that the media outlet itself is just going to be promoting the news or sharing the news, but each reporter is expected to promote their own work as well to help extend the reach of that media outlet. Mm-hmm. So you see, you see that even within the Wall Street Journal, like the Wall Street Journal, every reporter at the Wall Street Journal is required to promote their own articles as part of the promotion of the newspaper outlet or that media outlet. Right. So it's crazy for authors to not think that that they wouldn't be responsible for promoting their own work. Jen, you you mentioned a moment ago this notion of speaking with Hugh Howie and, you know, even Hugh's changing his mind about things. So I'll time box you guys on this next question from the standpoint of this interview will last in perpetuity, but uh, the advice you give will only last for right now. You know, if you were to give a piece of advice to new authors venturing into this crazy profession, what would be that piece of advice? Basically, I'm just going to say, be willing to work harder than anyone else, because that's what it takes. You're going to have to put your your whole heart in it if you want to succeed. That's the best advice I could give to a new author who's trying to break in. All right, excellent. And it sounds like you did that without any fear either, because you just kept asking until people said yes. Too. I'm thinking of your your agent your agent right. experience, right? It's right. like, okay, well, I know he's a big big time agent. I'm just going to contact him, and you know, no fear. That's right. Basically, yeah. Well, there there was fear. <laughs> <laughs> there was fear. It just didn't hold me back. Yeah. So. Well, excellent, Jody. Well, I would definitely echo that. Um, another thing that I would add, though, would be to be patient because you hear stories about Hugh Howie, or even, you know, much smaller successes, like Jen and myself. And you think, well, if I don't achieve that, if I don't sell, you know, 10,000 copies the first month, then I'm a failure. Or, you know, you get too wrapped up in the marketing aspect of it. I know that was definitely my tendency was just to obsess about the marketing and what can I do to sell this book instead of worrying about how can I write the next book and make it even better than the first book and make each book better than the last. So I think just be patient with the process and be patient with yourself and don't forget about the craft of writing and you know keep working really hard, not only at selling the books that you've got, but writing the best book. I mean, what's the saying that the best way to you know sell your next book is to have a really good backlist. And so mm-hmm. if you keep writing books and keep putting them out and making sure that they're, you know, absolutely 100% the best that you can do as far as the craft is, then I really think that you are going to find success. It might not be right away, but eventually you will. Let me follow up on that just really quickly, because 
I mean, Jen's had the one big book with fluency, and you you had successive titles come out. What did, what did that release schedule look like for you on 47 North? It was insane. They asked me for, I think that the, the second book, I had four months to write it. And the third book, I had five months to write it. And, you know, I've learned from that experience <laughs> because, I mean, I write, full time. I write full time now, but back then I was also running my own copywriting agency and I have two small children. And it was just, you know, it was a crazy year for me. And so now I do give myself more time. I want to make sure that I have, you know, the research right, that I've done numerous edits, that I've had time for other people to read it and give me their feedback. Just take a deep breath. You know, it's not, I'm not a failure if I don't have a book coming out every six months because I want them to be excellent books. And so I need to give myself the permission to take the time to write them. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing. Christy, last word here. Best piece of advice based on what you know so far. Completely echo what Jen and Jody said about the hard work. Um, it doesn't matter if you're doing self-pub or you're doing traditional. It's a business. You're becoming your own business if you're stepping into publishing. The other piece of advice, I guess, more geared for the traditional seeking set is that when you're querying and even when you're on submission, keep in mind it's subjective. Just because one agent doesn't want to read your work or doesn't want to represent you, it doesn't reflect the quality of the novel or your writing. You're really the only person who can decide that, you know, by feedback that you're getting from, you know, friends and readers, but keep at it. Just because one or two people say no, or even 10 people say no, doesn't mean that it's not worth getting published or that you can't write. So I, I guess that's the best piece of advice I could give. Excellent. Jen, Jody, Anything that I missed that uh, you might like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm just really excited. This is Jody. I'm excited about where publishing is going. I know that there's a lot of, you know, this is the end of the world. Publishing is in a horrible place. Um, but I'm an optimist. And I think that we're all trying new things. And I love that innovation. I love seeing all the new ideas that are coming out of the publishing industry about different ways to do things. And some of those ideas will work great. And some of them will be horrible. And we'll all just have to keep coming up with new ideas. And for me, that that's really exciting. I think it's an exciting time to be a reader and an author, um, because we have so many different options open for us now. Yeah, innovation in the way of telling story. Jen, anything that I may have missed that you want to share with our listeners? This has been a wonderful hour. Well, <laughs> Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, Jen, Jody, thank you for spending the time with us. I think our listeners, many of whom are aspiring writers, will be delighted and enthusiastic about what you've had to share today. So thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks for having us. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast.